Chapter Eight of Diggers in the Earth by Eva March Tappan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by April six zero nine zero, California, United States of America. Our friend Copper. Where did rocks come from? Some were deposited in water like limestone and like the shale and sandstone that lie over the strata of coal. Others were made by fire and were thrown up in a melted state from the interior of the earth such rocks are the giant's causeway in ireland and the palisades of the hudson river they are called igneous rocks from the latin word ignis meaning fire when the igneous rocks were thrown up to the surface of the earth they brought various metals with them how the metals happened to be there ready to be brought up no one knows some people think they were dissolved in water and then deposited others think that electricity had something to do with their formation however that may be metals were brought up with igneous rocks and one of these metals is copper now to one who did not know how to work iron copper was indeed a wonderful treasure for it made very good knives and spoons the people who lived in this country long before the indians came understood how to use it and after a while the indians themselves found out its value they did not trouble themselves to dig for it they simply picked it up from the ground good pure metal in lumps and with stones for hammers they beat it into knives there was only one place in what is now the united states where they could do this and that was in northern michigan a long point of land stretches out into lake superior as if it was just trying to see what could be found there just beyond its reach is isle royal and in these two places there was plenty of copper enough for the indians enough for the people who have come after them and enough for a great many more one piece of copper which the indians did not pick up and the united states government did is the famous ontonagon boulder so called because it was found near the ontonagon river it weighs more than three tons the indians would have been glad to make use of it but it was too hard for their tools and so they said to have worshipped it as a god it is now in the national museum in washington the lumps of copper such as those which delighted the hearts of the indians are known today as barrel copper because they are of a good size to be dropped into barrels and carried away for smelting the great boulders which the indians could not use are called mass copper sometimes they weigh as much as five hundred tons the copper in them is almost pure and a big boulder is worth perhaps two hundred thousand dollars nevertheless the mine owners do not rejoice when they come upon such a mass in their digging for it cannot be either dug or blasted and has to be cut away with chisels of chilled steel now a mine may be wonderfully rich in metal but if working it costs too much then another mine with less metal but more easily worked will pay better so it is with these great masses of copper they are interesting to study and they look well in museums but they do not pay so well as the stamp copper which is found in humble little bits in the gangu or the rock of the vein and has to be pounded in a stamp mill this gangu is dug out and broken up as in mines of other metals the copper is much heavier than the rock so it is easy to get rid of the worthless gangu by means of a flow of water 
the gangu of the michigan mines is exceedingly hard but the stamps are so powerful that one can crush five hundred tons in less than twenty-four hours some copper can be taken out of the mortars at once but the rest of the broken gangu is fed to jigs or screens which are kept under jets of water the water is thrown up from below and the lighter rock is tossed away while the heavier copper falls through the tiny holes in the screens after the ore has been through all these experiences it comes out looking like dark-colored sand or coarse brown sugar it is not interesting and no one who saw it for the first time would ever fancy that it was going to turn into something beautiful it is dumped into freight cars and trundled off to the smelting furnaces but however uninteresting it looks it is well worth while to follow these cars to see what happens to it at the smelters first of all even before it goes into the smelting furnace it must be roasted there is usually sulphur combined with the copper and roasting will get rid of much of it in some places this is done by building up a great heap of ore with a little wood the wood is kindled and by the time it has burned out the sulphur in the ore has begun to burn and in a good-sized heap it will continue to burn for perhaps two months such a heap is a good thing to keep away from for the fumes of sulphur are very disagreeable indeed they will kill trees and other growing things wherever the wind may carry them even several miles away the managers of mines of copper as well as of gold and silver have learned to economize and it has been found that instead of letting these fumes go into the air they may be made to pass through acid chambers lined with the zinc and full of water the water holds the fumes and can be used in making sulphuric acid after the ore has been roasted it is put into the furnace for smelting if you should make an oven and put into it a mixture of wood and roasted copper that would be a smelting furnace set the wood on fire pump in air to make the flame hot and if your furnace could be made hot enough that is twenty three hundred degrees fahrenheit or about eleven times as hot as boiling water you could smelt copper of course the furnace of a real smelting factory will hold tons and tons of copper ore and has all sorts of improvements but after all it is a principle only an oven with wood and ore and draught another sort of furnace which is better for some kinds of ore has a grate for the fire and a bed above it for the copper imagine an enormous furnace holding between two and three hundred tons of metal and burning with such terrific heat that by contrast boiling water would seem cool and comfortable suddenly while you stand looking at it but a long way off a door flies open and the most beautiful cascade only it is not a waterfall but a copperfall pours out it looks like red red gold rich and wonderful with little flames of red and blue dancing over it it might almost be one of the fire-breathing dragons of the old story-books and if it should get loose it would devour whomever it touched far quicker than any dragon it hardly seems as if any one could manage such a monster but it looks easy after you have seen it done an enormous horizontal wheel revolves slowly on its edge are moulds shaped like bricks but much larger on the hub of the wheel a workman sits to direct the filling of these a set of them is filled and moves on and others take their place when they are partly cooled another workman at the farther side of the wheel pries them out of the mould and drops them into water 
then by the aid of the fingers of a machine and those of men they are loaded upon cars in copper there is often some gold and silver the precious metals do not make the copper any better and if they can be separated from it they are well worth the trouble this is done by electricity it is so successful that the metallurgists are hoping soon to take a long step ahead and by means of electricity to produce refined copper directly from the ore indeed this has been done already in the laboratories but before the managers of mines can employ the method a way of making it less expensive must be discovered no mine that wastes anything is as well managed as it might be and superintendents are constantly on the watch for cheaper methods and for ways to make the refuse matter of use even the scoria or slag from the furnaces has been found to be good for something and now it is made into a coarse sort of brick that for certain rough uses is of value by the way the shaft of a copper mine the red jacket has shown itself of use in a manner that no one expected namely it helps to prove that the earth turns around this shaft is the deepest mining shaft in the world and when you get into the cage you go down a full mile toward the centre of the earth if you drop any article into the shaft it always strikes the east side before reaching the bottom the only way to explain this is that the earth turns toward the east copper mixed with zinc forms brass which is harder than copper alone it tarnishes though not so easily as copper but a coat of varnish will protect it till the varnish wears off a good way to find out the many uses of brass and to see how valuable they are is to go along the street and through a house and make a list on the street you will see signs harness buckles and buttons everywhere look on the automobiles and fire engines for a fine display of brass polished and shining in the house you will find brass bedsteads curtain rods faucets pipes drawer poles candlesticks gas and electric fixtures lamps the works of clocks and watches and scores of other things you will not have any idea how many they are till you begin to count copper mixed with tin forms bronze go into a hardware store and look at the samples of bronze outside of each drawer and you will be surprised that there are so many bronze does not change even when in the open air for ages that is one reason why it has always been so much used for statues there are two strange facts about this mixture one is that bronze is harder than either copper or tin the other is that if you mix one pint of melted copper with one pint of tin the mixture will be less than a quart just why these things are so no one is quite certain mathematics declares that the whole is equal to the sum of its parts but in this one case the whole seems to be less than the sum of its parts another reason why bronze is so much used for statues is that the castings are smooth i once went to a foundry to have a brass ornament shaped somewhat like a cone made for a clock the foundryman formed a mold in clay and poured the melted brass into it when it had cooled the mold was broken off and the ornament taken out but it was of no use because it was so full of little hollows that it could not be made smooth without cutting away a great deal of it the man had to try three times before he succeeded in making one that could be polished if it had been made of bronze there would have been no trouble because bronze hard as it is after it cools 
flows when it is melted almost as easily as molasses and fills every little nook and corner of the mold a famous latin poet named horace who lived two thousand years ago wrote of his poems i have reared a monument more lasting than bronze and he was right for a few statues have endured from his day to ours but his poems are still read and admired bells are made of bronze about three-quarters copper and one-quarter tin it is thought that much copper gives a deep full tone and that much tin with sometimes zinc makes the tone sharp the age of a bell has something to do with its sound being rich and mellow but the bell-maker has even more for he must understand not only how to cast it but also how to tune it if you tap a large bell it will if properly tuned sound a clear note tap it just on the curve of the top and it will give a note exactly one octave above the first if the note of the bell is too low it can be made higher by cutting away a little from the inner rim if it is too high it can be made lower by filing on the inside a little above the rim many of the old bells contain the gifts of silver and gold which were thrown in by people who watched their founding the most famous bell in the united states is the liberty bell of independence hall in philadelphia which rang when independence was adopted by congress this was founded in england long before the revolution and later was melted and founded again in the united states it would not be easy to get on without brass and bronze but even these alloys are not so necessary as copper by itself it is so strong that it is used in boiler tubes of locomotives as roofing for buildings and railroad coaches in the great pans and vats of the sugar factories and refineries a copper ore called malachite which shows many shades of green beautifully blended and mingled is used for the tops of tables wooden ships are often copper bottomed that is sheets of copper are nailed to that part of the hull which is under water in order to prevent barnacles from making their homes on it and so lessening the speed of the vessel people often say that the latter half of the nineteenth century was the age of steel because so many new uses for steel were found at that time the twentieth century promises to be the age of electricity and electricity must have copper formerly iron was used for telegraph wires but it needs much more electricity to carry power or light or heat or a telegraphic message over an iron wire than one of copper moreover iron will rust and will not stretch in storms like copper and so needs renewing much oftener electric lighting and the telephone are everywhere even on the summits of mountains and in mines a mile below the earth's surface electric power if a waterfall furnishes the electricity is the cheapest power known the common blued vitriol is one form of copper and to this we owe many of our electric conveniences it is used in all wet batteries and so it rings our doorbells for us it also sprays our apple and peach trees and is a very valuable article indeed copper in all its forms pure and alloyed is one of our best and most helpful friends End of chapter 8